Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Boy, peace, freedom and the American way are getting kind of thin these days. Donald Trump last night said he was a nationalist. Now, if that means I support my country before I support globalism, which is how Trump characterized it, I think probably most of us are, quote, nationalists, end quote. But that's typically not the meaning of that word. Typically, the meaning of the word nationalist means militarist, somebody who's willing to engage in expansionistic military policies and suppress the rights of people and things like that. But he embraced that last night. And uh, this morning, uh, there was a bomb in George Soros's mailbox. George Soros, who has absolutely nothing to do with the migrant caravan coming up from Honduras through Guatemala and now through Mexico. But boy, is this thing a gift to Donald Trump. And the thing that concerns me the most is this report in The Hill by Justin Wise that in seven out of eight early voting states, they're looking at Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Montana, Tennessee, and Texas, in every state except Nevada. Yes, they have overwhelming early voting turnouts, but in every state except Nevada, the overwhelming part of that is Republicans turning out. Trump is succeeding in turning out his base. And Fox News is succeeding in turning out the Fox News viewers. And these people standing in long, long lines, and we're all looking at it going, holy cow. We thought they were Democrats. No. With the exception of Nevada, they're Republicans. You know, the Koch brothers run a get-out-the-vote operation, a back-office operation, a data operation that's bigger than the Republican parties or the Democratic parties. It's this massive database of voters that they have, and they've got more employees and more offices on the ground with Americans for Prosperity and their other allied groups than even the Republican Party. And that $300 million that they promised in this election is hitting the ground right now. And a lot of it is invisible to you and me. It's happening in personal private emails going to people that they know are registered Republicans saying, you must get out and vote. Here's why. A lot of it is in social media posts that are targeting these folks. And it's not being covered in the media. It's being done very much under the radar. But, you know, blue wave, get ready. I'm not sure it's coming. And the media completely ignores, and we all have underestimated the impact of the Koch network dropping $300 million at the last minute into an election very strategically. There's only, you know, 30, 40, maybe at the most 50 congressional seats that are really being challenged. So, you know, if you're spending 300 million bucks, it's very easy to walk in and just carpet bomb those congressional districts with negative advertising. Oh, my God, it's Nancy Pelosi. Oh, my God, it's the immigrants. Oh, my God, it's George Soros. And the poor, terrified Republican people. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Joe Scarborough tweeting, his primary rules were never allow the public to cool off, never admit a fault or wrong, never concede that there may be some good in your enemy, never accept blame. People will believe a big lie sooner than a little one. Repeat it frequently enough. People will believe it. 
That's what Joe Scarborough tweeted. He wasn't tweeting about Donald Trump. In his second tweet, he notes it's Hitler's psychological profile in a report prepared during the war by the United States Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, what became the CIA after the war. I have been talking about this for years, and I have for years felt that we were heading down this trail when after 9-11, when George W. Bush went full out on behalf of the Patriot Act, this legislation that right-wingers have been trying to push for years and years and years here in the United States. They had it all written and ready to go when 9-11 happened and Bush trotted the thing out. And yeah, to hell with habeas corpus, to hell with individual rights, forget privacy. The Fourth Amendment goes out the window. And I even wrote a book, it's called We the People, that is, was specifically about George Bush's exploitation of 9-11, the way that Hitler exploited the Reichstag Gebüge fire, the, the burning of the Reichstag, or the, the German parliament building in 1933. It was how he brought himself to power, essentially. And now we know, in all probability, it was the Nazis who set the fire, even though Marius van der Lubbe, this um, mentally challenged, I think he was 23-year-old Dutchman, was the one who ended up being blamed for it. And he was a communist, you know. But it's really, I think, really important for us to revisit how this happens. Back in the 1950s, right after World War II, Milton Mayer, who was a reporter for the Chicago Sun, flew over to Germany and spent a year there, or almost a year there, getting to know 10 different, quote, good Germans. Germans who, during the war, they weren't part of the military. They never joined the Nazi party. They just did their jobs. There was a bricklayer. There was a baker. There was a college professor. And he wrote this book, They Thought They Were Free, that summarizes his interviews with these 10 people. And, uh, you know, I know every year, it seems, I'm reading this on the air, and it now seems like the perfect time to do it again, because here we have now a leader of the United States who is openly lying on, I mean, literally multiple times every day, a single speech, 20, 30, 40 lies, lying about brown people coming to attack us, lying about the other, lying about, I mean, just basically lying about everything and anything. And some very big lies to lying that he's going to have a middle-class tax break before the, before the election in two weeks. These are all lies. So Milton Mayer, after he spent uh, you know, this time in Germany with these guys, he came back and, and said, now I see a little better how Nazism overcame Germany, not by attack from without or by subversion within, but with a whoop and a holler. It was what most Germans wanted or under the pressure of combined reality and illusion, came to want. They wanted it, they got it, they liked it. I came home a little bit afraid for my country, afraid of what it might want and get and like under combined pressure of reality and illusion. I felt and feel that it was not German man that I met, but man, he happened to be German in certain conditions. He might be here under certain conditions. He might under certain conditions be me. If I and my countrymen ever succumbed to that concatenation of con con conditions, no constitution, no laws, no police, and certainly no army would be able to protect us from harm. So what was it that these guys said? Well, here, this is, this is from the uh, college professor that he interviewed. This is from Milton Mayer's book, They Thought They Were Free. He's telling, he's telling Mayer how the whole Nazi thing happened. He said, the separation of government from the people, this widening of the gap took place so gradually and so insensibly, each step disguised, perhaps not even intentionally, as a temporary emergency measure associated with true patriotic allegiance or with real social purposes. And all the crises and the reforms, and there were real reforms too, so occupied the people that they did not see the slow motion underneath of the whole process of government growing remoter and remoter. To live in this process is absolutely not to be able to notice it. Please try to believe me, unless one has a much greater degree of political awareness, acuity, than most of us ever had occasion to develop. Each step was so small, so inconsequential, so well explained, and on occasion even regretted, that unless one were detached from the whole process from the beginning, unless one understood what the whole thing was in principle, what all those little measures that no patriotic German could resent must someday lead to, 
One no more saw it developing from day to day than a farmer in his field sees the corn growing. And one day, it's over his head. He continues, he says, Pastor Niemöller spoke for the thousands and thousands of men like me when he said, too modestly of himself, that when the Nazis attacked the communists, he was a little uneasy, but after all, he was not a communist, and so he did nothing. And then they attacked the socialists, he was a little easier, but he was uneasier, but he wasn't a socialist, so he did nothing. And then the schools and the press and the Jews and so on, and he was always uneasier, but still he did nothing. And then they attacked the church, and he was a churchman, and he tried to do something, but then it was too late. You see, one doesn't see exactly where or how to move. Believe me, this is true. Each act, each occasion is worse than the last, but only a little worse. You wait for the next and the next. You wait for the one great shocking occasion, thinking that others, when such a shock comes, will join with you in resisting somehow. You don't want to act or even talk alone. You don't want to go out of your way to make trouble. Why not? Well, you're not in the habit of doing it. It's not just fear, the fear of standing alone that restrains you. It's also genuine uncertainty. Uncertainty is a very important factor. And instead of decreasing as time goes on, it grows. Outside in the streets, in the general community, everyone's happy. No one hears, uh, one hears no protest, certainly sees none. In this university community, in your own community, you speak privately to your colleagues, some of whom certainly feel as you do. But what do they say? They say, it's not so bad. You're seeing things. You're an alarmist. And you are an alarmist. You are saying that this must lead to that, and you can't prove it. These are the beginnings, yes, but how do you know for sure if you don't know the end? And how do you know or even surmise the end? On the one hand, your enemies, the law, the regime, the party, they intimidate you. On the other hand, your colleagues poo-poo you as pessimistic or even neurotic. But the one great shocking occasion when tens or hundreds of thousands will join you never comes. That's the difficulty. If the last and worst act of the regime had come immediately after the first and the smallest, thousands, yes, millions would have been sufficiently shocked if, let us say, the gassing of the Jews in 43 had come immediately after the German firm stickers in the windows of non-Jewish shops in 33. But of course, this isn't the way it happens. In between come all the hundreds of little steps, some of them imperceptible, each of them preparing you not to be shocked by the next. Step C is not so much worse than B, and you didn't take a stand at B, so why should you at C? And so on to step D. And one day, too late, your principles, if you were ever sensible of them, all rush in upon you. The burden of self-deception has grown too heavy, and some minor incident, in my case, it was my little boy, hardly more than a baby, saying, Jew, swine. That collapses it all at once, and you see that everything, everything has changed, and changed completely under your nose. The world you live in, your nation, your people is not the world that you thought you were in at all. The forms are all there, all untouched, all reassuring, the houses, the shops, the jobs, the mealtimes, the visits, the concerts, the cinema, the holidays, but the spirit, which you never noticed because you made the lifelong mistake of identifying it with the forms, the spirit has changed, and now you live in a world of hate and fear, and the people who hate and fear do not even know it themselves. When everyone is transformed, no one is transformed. Now you live in a system which rules without responsibility even to God. So then Milton Mayer says to him, well, what do you do about this? And the guy says, how is this to be avoided among ordinary men, even highly educated ordinary men? Frankly, I do not know. I don't see, even now, how we could have stopped it. Many, many times since it all happened, I've pondered that pair of great maximums, Principus Obsta and Finem Respus. Resist the beginnings and consider the end. But one must foresee the end in order to resist or even see the beginnings. One must foresee the end clearly and certainly. And how is this done? By ordinary men or even by extraordinary men. See, this uh, college professor in the time of Hitler didn't have the benefit of looking back at Hitler. And when you've got Joe Scarborough retweeting our government's psychological profile of Hitler, and it, it reads identical to Trump, you got to say, whoa, something here is wrong. This is the Tom Hartman Program. 
it seems to me that we are facing a full-out fascist onslaught. What do you think we should do about it? Elaine in Seattle. Hey, Elaine, what's up? Hi, uh, thank you for taking my call. One of the questions that keeps coming up for me is we need to hear more of what you do on this program is relate history that this is not the first time this is happening and that there have been plenty of signs that we can follow to know uh, what stage things are at. I would love to see there be kind of depolarization meetings or, or dialogues at, you know, perhaps held by universities where historians could conduct uh, talking sessions for nonpartisan where people could hear what the parallels are to what where we are now and perhaps also hear what people did in this moment in yeah. in other times i've had a, a an experience on the weekend with some iranian friends in in orange county where they were attacked with why don't you go home you don't belong in this right. country did the parents reacted very strenuously you know what what country do you come from you know, we probably pay the taxes that, that's supporting your Medicare. So we we need... We need more I historical might. perspective. I completely agree. I completely agree. In fact, I'm going to uh, throw out an Arnold Toynbee quote when we come back on the other side. Elaine, thank you for the call. Thanks for listening to KBCS. BlindsGalore.com was the first place you could buy custom window treatments online, and because of that, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for over 20 years and have covered over 2 million windows and know exactly how to get you the right blinds at the right price. They make it easy. They made it easy for Louisa and me to go in and order. It was a breeze. It will be for you, too. Blinds Galore's products are hand-built from scratch, delivered right to your door, and created just for your windows. Their expert team is happy to help you every step of the way, either online or over the phone. Plus, they have the industry's best guarantee. If you don't like your custom blinds or shades for any reason, wrong color, you measured wrong, you don't like the style, you can exchange it for another covering for free. Blinds Galore will even set you up with 15 free samples and free shipping on top of the free expertise. It doesn't get any better than that. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home. Go check out BlindsGalore.com and let them know we sent you. That's BlindsGalore.com. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. You know, Arnold Toynbee talking about the cycles of history. And in fact, I use this quote in my book, The Crash of 2016. Arnold Toynbee said that when the last man dies who remembers the horrors of the last great war. When that last man dies who remembers the horrors of the last great war, the next great war becomes inevitable. In other words, when history is lost in terms of human generations, in terms of the ability to share history from person to person within a family, within a community, within a country, when that history is lost, then the mistakes are inevitably repeated. It's like, you know, when Phil Graham got up in the U.S. Senate in, in 1998 and Senator Phil Graham and said, uh, you know, Glass-Steagall, we don't need Glass-Steagall anymore. Look how well it's worked. We haven't had a bank failure since 1933. So let's just repeal it. And they did with Graham Leach Bliley. And guess what? You got a crash in 2008 and you got another crash coming, driven by the behavior of these big banks that would have been illegal under Glass-Steagall. Well, it's the same thing, in my humble opinion, for people who, who are unaware of how the Nazis came to power in Germany, how, and perhaps more to the point, since Hitler seems to be so radioactive, how Mussolini came to power in Italy, how Franco came to power in Spain. Well, that was a little different there. Or, you know, what's his name in Chile? I mean, pick your country, right, that has had a fascist takeover. It typically follows the same script. Michael in Ventura, California. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind? Um, first off, I was a Republican. I voted for Trump, and I did not realize um, 
how awful uh, his administration and his plan was uh, for the American direction. I, I grant um, you absolution, I am, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, would, I, I really would like to say this. Okay? Uh, ever since Trump has been in the office, uh, personally towards me, uh, racism has escalated. I know it doesn't sound like it, uh, but I am a full-fledged uh, Mexican. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uh, my great grandfather was born in California, so um, when people do say, "Why don't you go back to your homeland?" I just I, I wish I could. I really wish I could and just bask on the beaches of Ventura. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really sad. It, it, it's really really sad. Just like you said earlier, all you have to do is to listen, pay attention, not only to, to what Trump says. But what his administration does not say. So before Trump, did you have white people coming up to you? You 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 look Hispanic. Your 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 ancestry is Mexican. Um, before Trump, did you actually, uh, with any frequency at all, have people coming up to you saying, "Why don't you go back to Mexico or go back to where you came from?" And after Trump, have you seen a substantial increase in that? Is that what you're telling me, Michael? Okay, before Trump. I did have, you know, some people come and say that, but it was like a, I don't know, once every three months type of deal. Yeah. You know, and now with Trump, I drive across country. When I go towards the south and southeast states, I get that asked a lot. I would say every trip. Wow. Every single trip I go out. Yeah, and it's just kind of like, come on, people, this is 2018. Yeah. You know, I've actually had men from Tennessee ask me, where did I go to learn English so well? Huh. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, first off, that's wrong. You know, but I'm not going to try and you know teach them English. Yeah, well, and you secondly, know, your your diction is probably better than most Tennesseans. Although yeah, by the standards you know, of Tennessee, I mean, you know, we have to respect regional dialects and all that. But um, exactly, still. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's crazy. Michael, thank you for sharing your story with us. And that experience of racism being turned on you is the, is the principal thing that turned you against Trump? Uh, no, his, his whole plan, his whole economic plan, you know, um, mm. I, I did uh, research who really was going to get tax cuts, right. who were the tax cuts for, why does he want to be friends with Saudi Arabia? Um, in my opinion, we do not need their oil. Um, if, if this country would just let loose on our drilling. Uh, oh, we, we don't, become, we don't, we definitely don't need their oil because of fracking. I mean, we don't need their oil anymore, Michael. And, and also, you know, the spot market out there. But Donald Trump's organization, the Trump organization, has taken tens, perhaps hundreds of millions of dollars from the Saudis over the years. He's, he's in a hock up to his eyeballs to those guys. Exactly. And the way things are going, he's going to end up owing them a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear your political evolution and how you woke up essentially to what's going on and the research that you did. Michael, thank you for the call. Um, can, I, can I say one last thing? Real quick. We're hitting a break. Okay, really quickly. You know, where, um, what corporations hire all these illegal aliens? Then take it from there. Yeah, well, then the corporations should be shut down, frankly. But, you know, that's that's a whole separate separate issue. Michael, thank you for the call. It's good to hear from you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Ray in Cement City, Michigan. Hey, Ray, what's up? Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Yeah, hey, listen, I was listening to a clip of, uh, of Trump's uh, rally down in, I think it was uh, in, in Texas. It was in Texas anyways. Uh-huh. But in his discussion of this caravan coming up, he used the term, I'm declaring this an emergency. What right. are the implications if that mentality continues on before or even after the election? Well, I'd be more concerned after the election if the Republicans hold the House of Representatives. If they do, there are very specific emergency powers that a president can seize by declaration. And only Congress basically can, can stop him in that, or possibly the Supreme Court. But Neil Gorsuch yesterday said that Wilbur Ross cannot be deposed. He's being sued for lying about why they wanted to put a uh, citizenship question on the census uh, report. And uh, Neil Gorsuch and Clarence Thomas together 
said, that's it, and they stopped the lower court, which had said that Ross had to testify. They stopped that and said, no, he doesn't have to testify. So we're seeing now, and I'm surprised Kavanaugh didn't join it, but I think they only needed two people to say, no, we're not going to hear this. We're going we're gonna to flip this case. Who's going to stop him? scary because even after the elections, if the Democrats do take the House and it won't be a big margin, it's like they'll knock on these congressmen's doors and say, you know, this is not an option of the things that we think you need to do. These are things we expect you to do, and we're going to put the crank on your arm. Well, the really dangerous period of time, if the Democrats take the House, will be between the election on November 6th, I think it is this year, and the first week of January. Yeah, there's going to be a period of time there where you've got a bunch of Republican congressmen who still have power, who are on their way out, and they still control Congress. And God only knows what they're going to do, what laws they could pass, what rules they could change. I mean, Mitch McConnell has demonstrated that the Constitution doesn't constrain them, the rule of law doesn't constrain them, certainly convention, you know, the way things have always been done, uh, or even the rules of the Senate don't constrain them. So Posse comitatus doesn't really apply much anymore, didn't they overturn that in one of these previous? Uh, uh, My recollection uh, is that it got overturned in one of the Patriot Act things, and then it got reinstated in another. But, uh, you know, I need to get a constitutional expert on or somebody who knows more about Posse comitatus than I do, because, um, you know, I remember those stories flying by, <laughs> you know, but, but I, I can't say that I know for sure if we even still have Posse comitatus. This, by the way, for people who don't know what we're talking about, Ray, is, is a law that was passed back after the Civil War that said never again shall American troops turn their, their weapons on American citizens, basically. And the exception to that, of course, is the National Guard, which is why I said even with posse comitatus, Trump can still militarize the southern border if he's got Republican governors in Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico who are willing to call out the National Guard. It's not going to happen in California, but the wall in California is pretty high integrity. California doesn't have much of a problem in that regard. So not that any place else does, frankly, now. Ray, thanks a lot for the call. I am very concerned about that as well. Laura in Chicago. Hey, Laura, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hey, um, the election integrity community in uh, in the U.S., we totally are opposed to these voter ID laws and the, and the voter suppression. There's no question about that. Yeah. We do want to expand the conversation because um, Bob Fitzgerald and Harvey Wasserman coined it perfectly. They wrote a book called The Flip and the Strip. Yep. So the voter ID laws and the voter suppression, the, the Republicans are so little supported across the country that they have to go to great measures to keep the elections going in their favor, right? right. To make it look like the elections are going in their favor. So they have to strip the voters of their voting rights, the voter ID laws, the voter suppression, and then they have to fine-tune the election fraud with the flipping of the votes right. on the electronic machines and also on the central tabulators. Yep. Some of them control the, the you know, main calculating of our no, votes. We saw this with Don Siegelman's election in Alabama. Uh, you know, there was that they one do. county where in the middle of the night the guy suddenly discovered 15,015,000 uh, voters had uh, voted all straight Democratic down ticket, but they voted for Bob Riley, the Republican at the top for governor. And the, the day before, they had all voted for Don Siegelman. But, you know, hey, and it was just enough because Siegelman had won by 13,000 votes. Right. And we know and, this. For and we saw it in Volusia County, Florida, where the where the vote, uh, the, right. the, the vote for Al Gore actually went backwards as the vote as people voted throughout the day. The number of the and number we, of votes that they were reporting in real time actually went backwards. We see that actually more often than is announced that is announced on the news. For You're sure. right. I'm sure. So it's the strip and the flip, yeah. the blunt instrument of the strip and the flip. Now, some of the solutions, okay? In some states, you can re-register. The deadline hasn't arrived yet. You can re-register. A lot mm -hmm. of the voter purges happen farther away from the election, right. so 60 days out, 90 days out. And so we encourage everybody to go online and check your voter registration and then re-register. Right. In some states, like Illinois, we haven't seen that 550,000 voters purge in Illinois because the county election divisions actually get to decide 
who is purged from their roles. And there was an outcry about the cross-check list. So we haven't quite seen the full 550,000 people getting purged. But in Illinois, we are a liberal voting state, meaning you can register to vote and vote on the same day during early voting and on Election Day. You bring two pieces of ID and one to prove who you are, one to prove where you live, and you can register to vote and vote. That's so that's good to know, Laura, because Greg Palast right now on his website has all 550,000 names in Illinois who were purged. You can plug your name, your first and last name in and your zip code, I think it is, and boom, it'll pop right up if you've been purged. He's got the whole list over at gregpalast.com. But we can overcome it in Illinois. And in some states, everybody needs to know their own state laws. They need to know their county election officials. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amen. Uh, th- this is really a big deal. And I've been screaming about provisional ballots since 2002 when the law was passed, or really 2003 when I started writing about it for Common Dreams. And this is a big deal. And if you get a provisional ballot or if you're offered a provisional ballot, fight like hell, because it, in all probability, 99% of the time, will not be counted. Laura, thank you for the call. Back. Riduzone. If you struggle to lose weight, listen carefully. Riduzone works. I've never before endorsed a weight loss product, but I've seen the result firsthand with my brilliant wife, Louise, who, like so many, has had her share of diet frustrations. Losing weight is hard, right? Louise heard about Riduzone. She did her homework, learned it's FDA accepted, and that it helps us lose weight in a revolutionary way. Riduzone comes out of university research that discovered a molecule that helps regulate appetite. When it's out of whack, we're always hungry and crave foods we shouldn't eat. And good luck losing weight when you're already starving on day one. Louise tried Riduzone. She looks amazing, and I've never, never seen her this excited about a weight loss product. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough, and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Riduzone. Go to tryridiozone.com and use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to receive up to 65% off on your order and free shipping. That's tryridiozone.com, promo code TOM. Jan, Boynton Beach, Florida. Hey, Jan, what's up? Hi. um, My primary concern is the fact that Rick Scott, when he came into office, changed the three-year waiting period for um, felons to five years, and it only took four votes in order for that to become legislation. So if we're going to elect a governor who did this right after he became the governor for no apparent reason, what is he going to do as a senator? Oh, God it is forbid. a good cause not to vote for him. Yeah. Among other, we have you know, to take these things into consideration. Yeah, along, along with the fact that uh, he made hundred. In fact, Nate, we've got that uh, Rick Scott ad. We need to cue that thing up and, and play it. I don't know how quickly it'll you could, you'll be able to pull it up, but there's there's a there's a a new anti Rick Scott ad out that is just absolutely amazing. Here here it is. Let me play it for you, Jen. How did Rick Scott get rich? Answer, ripping off Medicare. As a CEO, Scott ran a healthcare company that was fined $1.7 billion for Medicare fraud. Then Scott got $300 million as he was forced out the door. As governor, Scott got even richer, making $550 million on one transaction hidden from the voters. Everywhere he's gone, Rick Scott has stuffed his own pockets. Rick Scott, you just can't trust him. Uh, so this is a Bill Nelson ad. So, Jan, have you seen that on the air in Florida? Is it is it out there, or is it uh, just uh, something I picked up uh, off the absolutely, Internet? Absolutely. He has so much money that he can take the airways at any time that he wants. Rick Scott. But my concern is yeah. that if, if we can, if it takes four people in our state to vote to allow people not to get their voters' rights, right. and that hasn't been reinstituted and that we need to repeal the 1886 or whatever it was of felons having their voters' rights removed. Right. You know, there's no reason. We need to start saying, why should you lose your voters' rights ever? Yeah, if you, I'm in. If you go to jail and you're, you're paying the time for the crime, that doesn't have anything to do with your voters' rights. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jen, thank you for the call. Patsy in Pismo Beach, California. Hey, Patsy, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? Hi. Uh, well, first, I want to say that I'm half Hispanic on my mother's side, and, but I don't look at so people think I'm an ordinary white American. So if they say things around me, they really shouldn't. Mm. But when uh, Trump calls himself a nationalist, you know, it 
struck a chord there because I think he means that he's a white nationalist, which is an umbrella organization, you know, that uh, encompasses them all, like the KKK, the Aryan Nation, the whole thing. So you think this uh, was another shout out, just like his some very fine people shout out to the white nationalists or the white supremacists in Charlottesville. You think this is another shout out? Oh, I definitely do, that and I'm actually of kind of familiar with white supremacists because I used to live in Idaho. Yeah. But you know that that's not what I'm, I'm calling about. And also, I noticed the news is starting to call him a liar. Uh, his claims about Muslims being in the caravan, you know, coming from Guatemala, right. uh, were called yeah by NBC without evidence and by CBS uh, called him unsubstantiated. So I'm thinking that's getting to be kind of interesting too. So I, I it would be nice to, if they would just come know, right out and say Donald Trump is lying to you. Well, yeah, would wouldn't that be nice? Yes. yes. I, I don't. I don't uh, understand know. the protocol that says that you can't call the president a liar when he lies. I don't get it. Oh, I, I definitely believe that. But you know, I'm surprised that they've even gone this far. Frankly, who's and, they? Yeah, whether they'll keep it up, uh, th- these media people. You know, NBC and CBS. I don't know if cable news has picked up on that. It, like I said, it would be very nice if they just start. You know, saying you can't believe anything this man says. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well said, Patsy. Thank you. Thank you for the call. Sonny in San Rafael, California. Hey, Sonny, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching Free Speech. Hi, Tom. Good to talk to you. I wanted to talk about the message that uh, we Democrats seem to be struggling with. Should we go high, go low, all that? Okay. Which truly, I give up on MSNBC and CNN and all those in in terms of, you know, shedding any light on that. I wanted to talk about um, how we separate Trump from this Death Star GOP in D.C. Uh, when we talk about Trump. And my recommendation, please, I want your opinion on this, Tom. We have to simplify this, for me anyway. Anything simple when they get this complicated. When I hear Trump, I want to hear the D.C. GOP. I want to hear not Trump isolated from them. There was Gingrich who broke onto the scene in the 90s with this kind of virulent stuff, and he started playing to the C-SPAN cameras yeah. in the chambers yeah. and perfected that, and then they perfected slowly Fox. And then, it, I mean, this has been going on for a long time, and Trump is the GOP. He is not. Right. Probably, arguably, reasonable uh, separation of Trump and the GOP during the first, say, 10, 12 months of his presidency, because he was screwing so many things up so badly, and so many Republicans were speaking, still speaking poorly of him, you know, and the obvious ones who didn't stop are now on their way out, you know, Bob Corker and, and Jeff Flake and whatnot, and, and a couple of members of the House, um, actually about a dozen members of the House. But then something happened after 10, 12 months, around the middle of last winter, it seemed that the Republican Party finally said, okay, you know, he's not going to self-destruct. He is learning how to, how to at least pretend to be presidential, at least our version of that. And he actually is building and strengthening his own base. And if we ignore that base, we do so at our own peril. The Tea Party has turned into the Trump Party. And so we better get in bed with this guy. And at that point, the GOP became the Trump Party. And I would say that happened probably eight or nine months ago. And the, the, the media, to your point, Sonny, and I think this is what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the media hasn't, hasn't acknowledged that merger. No, they are. They, for example, Lindsey Graham. On Tuesday, they'll say, "What happened to Lindsey Graham? He used to be so uh, never Trump-like." Right. And now on Wednesday, they're like, "Here comes Lindsey. Listen to him. He's saying to those Saudis, get rid of that, M, you know, that MSB, the murder boy there, right. uh, Solomon." Uh, and he's out there like the hero of the day. They're hopeless. Yeah. And and I agree with you that it did take ten to twelve months for this to mesh completely between Trump and the GOP. But I believe Trump is the GOP. I don't think he's anything but the GOP. I think they are, as Noam Chomsky, my hero, has been saying for years that the most dangerous gang on this earth is the GOP in the United States of America. Personally, I call them the Death Star, but I mean, that's just, I don't know. Yeah, they, they, they complain about MS-13, but the Republican Party has been responsible, or at least their policies. For example, you know, refusing to expand Medicaid under uh, Obamacare, and John Roberts is complicit in this. The GOP has been responsible for a lot of deaths in the United States. 
a lot of deaths. I mean, Harvard University was estimating it at 40,000 a year or 24,000 a year after uh, Obamacare. Sonny, thank you. Excellent point. Uh, one I hadn't considered. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. Cindy in Boca Raton, Florida. Hey, Cindy, what's on your mind today? Okay, there was a great article that I read from Vox.com about a leading Holocaust historian just seriously compared the U.S. to uh, Nazi Germany. Yes. And it's really saying that the person who's the most responsible for our problems is Mitch McConnell. But it's an article written by Zach Buchamp, published on October 5th. It's talking about Christopher Browning, who is the respected historian of the Holocaust. Right. And he just talks about how everything you've been talking about, but that it's that Mitch McConnell is the one who's letting all this go through. Without Goebbels and, you know, who is Steve Bannon is the modern day version or maybe Stephen Miller. And without, uh, well, Rahm ran the army. Try to remember the name of the uh, of the, the German legislature who was, you know, functionally the head of the German parliament. Um, Paul Van um, Hindenburg? Well, Hindenburg, yeah, he, actually it may have been. I, I, it's been so many years. It's been at least 30 years since I, since I read uh, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. But Hindenburg yeah. played a big role in it. I, I don't remember if he was exactly what his title was. But there were several senior legislators in the German parliament who basically made it all work for Hitler. And, yeah, and, that, and, the, and he's comparing this to Mitch McConnell. And it was a yeah. very interesting article. It makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, obviously Mitch McConnell has no respect for the rule of law, no respect for tradition, no respect for the Constitution. We saw that in blocking Obama's federal judges for eight years, completely blocking them for the last two years, blocking Merrick Garland, obstructing, you know, based on everything, changing the rules of the Senate, changing the filibuster rules over and over and over again. And my two biggest fears right now are concerns, shall we say, are that one, the Democrats don't actually take the House. In which case you've got Trump unleashed, unchained, and and his declaration that we have an emergency because there's brown people coming from the South. If he were to actually declare a legal state of emergency under the Patriot Act or something like that because of a, quote, foreign invasion, the powers that he would acquire are incredible. That could be the end. I mean, that, that could be the absolute flipping turning point if he were to do that. And I could see him doing that if the Democrats win well, if the Republicans win, I can see him doing that easily after they're sworn in in January because they'll just be syncopants to what he's doing. If the Democrats are to win, they've got a two-month period between the November 6th election and the first week in January when they get sworn in as, as you know, when the new uh, Democrats get sworn in and the old Republicans have to leave. That two-month period, roughly, is a time of enormous danger. And it's also a time of enormous distraction. You've got Thanksgiving and Christmas in there. And those holidays, people are not paying attention to what's going on. They're not paying attention to the news. That concerns me tremendously. Candy, thank you for the call and for the heads up on that. That was a good one. Lawrence watching Free Speech TV. And is it Kikatsmovi Village, Arizona? Yeah, Kikatsmovi. Hey, thank there you, you go, Kikatsmovi. So what's up, uh, Lance? Yes, uh, Tom, I'm Navajo and Hopi. And uh, my concern... When asking you this question, I'll ask you here in uh, in a second. But uh, my concern is uh, what I've seen from what the Trump administration and his Republicans want to do with the tribal sovereignty for some of the recognized tribes here in the United States. Oh, you saw the uh, the, the, the judicial nomination about that? Do you know? Is that, is that what you're thinking? Well, um, I'm thinking more along the lines of Medicaid, uh, oh, Medicare, where okay. he wants to institute his version of the work requirements. Yeah, um, and so. You know, I, I want to jump ahead to this question is, it gets to that point where you guys were talking about Mitch McConnell not you know, paying attention to the rule of law and, uh, you know, the uh, checks and balances in the Senate and in the, in the Congress. And it gets to a point where Trump, maybe he'll, he'll get us into a, a, a scenario where he institutes martial law. Uh, for how long do you think he can do that? And will he eliminate, do you think he can eliminate the Democratic Party? I only ask that because... You know, I only see the Democratic Party in favor of supporting anything for the Native Americans these days. I don't really see the Republicans doing that, and that's why. And I'll go ahead and take yeah. my answer off there. Thank you. Sure. Uh, Lance, I don't know the answer to the question. I mean, we're, we're all, you know, in the area of speculation here and, and very concerned speculation. And that's a very, very 
you know, that's kind of fallen off the edge of the cliff. The, the judge that I was telling you about, there's, there is a, a fellow, and I'm sorry I'm not drawing his name immediately to mind. It's a, it's a fairly simple, short, kind of Anglo-Saxon name, like Andrew Miller kind of thing, you know. Um, but, uh, but it's not that name. But uh, this guy has made his reputation in the legal world as a lawyer suing uh, Native American tribes and trying to challenge the sovereignty of Native American tribes. And uh, he's from Washington State, and Donald Trump wants him to be on the federal bench. They want to make him a lifetime judge in the Ninth Circuit, which is the most liberal circuit. This is one of the most crazy right-wing whack job guys who's built his career trashing Native Americans. And Mitch McConnell is pushing it through in the absence of the Democrats. There's still a few Republicans who are hanging out in Washington, D.C., and they are, they are certifying judges as we speak. And I don't know if this guy is on the bench yet, but they're, they're moving him in that direction. And I know that a lot of people in the Native American community are very, very freaked out about this. And, uh, you know, it's just like, like I said, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell does not respect the rule of law at all. And this, this could be a really, really bad thing. They are packing the federal judiciary like there is no tomorrow. So, Lance, were you familiar with that? But I'm going to have to study up on that. And I think I've heard a few things and seen some articles, but I was just concerned because we have the elderly that are on, you know, the uh, social safety nets that we have out here provided under the treaties uh, for the federal subsidies, you know. Right. And so it just seems, though, that they're getting tired of paying these subsidies to the tribes under these treaties. And Trump, I'm sure he wants to eliminate these treaties, not only for that, but to get to the land. And what is what can he do if he gets to that, that point where he doesn't have a Democratic Party or opposition? Yeah. Oh, look uh, whose picture know, he hung. Look whose picture he hung next to his desk in the Oval Office. Oh, Andrew yeah. Jackson, oh, yeah. the great Indian killer, was, you know, his. Yeah. Lance, thanks a lot for the call. It's good to hear from you and, and give our regards to everybody there. Take one atom of nitrogen and bond it with one atom of oxygen and boom, you just created nitric oxide, a miracle molecule your own body makes that fuels your cardiovascular health, keeping you vibrant. But as we all age, our bodies need help generating more natural nitric oxide. Superbeets by Human N has harnessed the power of nutrient-enriched beets and created a superfood that helps your body make more nitric oxide on its own. The core philosophy of Human N is to develop heart-healthy products for your body. One teaspoon of Superbeats daily supports your cardiovascular health and blood pressure levels, giving you natural energy without the need of a quick caffeine kick or sugar high. We're talking real. We're talking healthy, natural energy. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats and free shipping with your first purchase. Feel the 1 plus 1 equals boom effect of Superbeats. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. You know, quite a conversation that we're having here today about what is this? What is this that we're seeing, this whole Trump phenomenon, the Republicans all getting in bed with him after, after all the other 16 Republican candidates going, that guy's crazy, you know, or that guy's a liar, or that guy's a con man, or that guy's a grifter. I mean, all words that literally came out of the mouths of his Republican opponents. And now they're all, you know, competing with each other to polish his shoes. What do we call this? Do you call it fascism? Is that the direction we're going? And what happens if the Democrats don't take the House of Representatives? I'm very concerned that Trump will simply, it'll be Trump unleashed. And this country is going to take a, a leap in a direction that will be, well, we'll see. I, I you know, it just, it, it concerns me. JC in San Francisco. Hey, JC, what's up? Good morning, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Have you heard of the uh, film, the, the King's Choice, made in 2017 with Jesper Christensen? No, I'm sorry. It's about the, the weekend that the Nazis invaded Norway and Denmark, April 8th and 9th. And uh, it's a two-day story about the invasion of Norway and King Hokan VII, the uh, Danish uh, King Christian, the, the Danish king's brother, happened to be the Norwegian king. And um, anyway, it's a really good film. I watched it with my mother and, and a bunch of retired radicals over at the Radical Retirement Home. And uh, it's a fabulous film. And uh, it's it's Halloween month, so uh, it's it's kind of scary. Hmm. Anyway, it's a suggestion. Sure. Uh, really good film, The King's Choice. 
Okay. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to throw back out there on the table. Um, you know, there's a legal system uh, that the, the Republicans put in place uh, about 15 years ago when we were invading Iraq and Afghanistan uh, called rendition. And I don't know why we cannot declare uh, the Trump and uh, the, uh, the what's his name, McConnell and Ryan uh, threats to democracy and domestic terrorism. Uh, and you, you can't, JC. That that's over the top. I mean, that, you know, I get that you're upset and and outraged and concerned and worried and frightened and all that other stuff. You know, I'm there too. But you know, Paul Ryan lies through his teeth. You know, he's spent his entire political career talking about how he wants to destroy Social Security and Medicare, and now he's he's saying that he wants to protect them. Um, McConnell has no respect for the Constitution or for the, the norms and, and rules and traditions of the Senate. He blocked Obama's judges for eight years. The last two years, very aggressively blocked Merrick Garland, changed the rules, you know, on the filibuster and all this kind of stuff. But those don't constitute high crimes or misdemeanors. They don't even constitute, in my opinion, impeachable offenses. They are the reasons why we need to show up at the polls and vote these people out of power. I'll call you after Election Day and, and maybe this won't be this will be moot. But, you know, I'm just very suspicious of these guys. And if you watch The King's Choice, you'll you kind of get a little bit of that. OK, well, I'll yeah. check it out. Is it on Netflix? I believe it is. Yes. Thank you, JC. I appreciate the call. Kenyon in Redlands, California. What's on your mind? I got to tell you something, something that really concerns me in this environment right now. A, a few weeks, a few weeks ago, you and I talked about uh, the country coming unglued. And I wasn't talking about race war. I'm talking about things that could lead up to it. I'm talking about, Tom, can you imagine what a political assassination would do to this country right now? God forbid. God forbid. I don't even want to contemplate Kenyatta. I know. Yeah. I don't either. Yeah. I, I'm very wary of even that kind of talk on this program. If there was a terrorist incident, particularly if Donald Trump could blame it on a Hispanic person, if there was a terrorist incident in the United States, it wouldn't even have to be as big as 9-11. It would just have to be big enough that Fox News could hyperventilate about it for a week or so. A lot of things could change really bad, really fast, and Donald Trump oh, may not end up being term limited law. to two terms. You'd be looking at martial law immediately. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And this was set up by George W. Bush. You know, all the changes, the Patriot Act and all this stuff, his response to 9-11, instead of saying this is a crime, let's get the police, let's arrest this guy, because, you know, at that point in time, Afghanistan, the Mullah Omar was perfectly willing to arrest bin Laden and turn him over to a third country for trial. And Bush said, no, I want to have a war. War presidents get reelected, you know, as he had told well, his you, biographer. You know something, Tom, this fellow, this journalist that was killed and Turkey at the Saudi Arabian embassy. The United States did nothing. When 15 hijackers came from Saudi Arabia and killed 3,000 Americans, they're not going to do anything this time. Yeah. Kenyatta, thanks for the call. Uh, just a quick note here. My, my book, The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight, I wrote this book in 1996. Ancient Sunlight, of course, is oil. Right. And so it's it's a story about how we got here. It's about American culture. It's about the history of oil and and what we can do about it. And when I first wrote it in 96, the, you know, there was a lot of concern about King Hubbard and the Hubbard Peak and, you know, Saudi Arabia overstating their oil reserves and all kinds of stuff like that. That uh, we updated in 2004 to include some information about climate changes that was becoming more and more obvious. And then I spent the last year and a half re-updating it to include current state-of-the-art information about climate change. And Random House, the publisher, just released it last week. In fact, I, I just got uh, three copies uh, myself that I bought from Amazon uh, in the mail yesterday. Just a heads up, if you liked Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight, if you thought it was an interesting or useful book, it's used by some colleges, in fact, in some cases in environmental studies, in other cases in cultural studies. But uh, if you liked it, or if you're looking for a holiday gift or whatever, to share the message with somebody, it is now available. Just a, just a quick heads up. I realize I'm, I'm plugging my own book here, but I, I really think it's, it's not just a book. I mean, I have 27 books in print, I think, and this is, this is a classic. So anyhow, just for what it's worth.
check in with Luke Vargas and find out what's going on in the world today. Uh, we talk media news. This, this report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com. And loving what you do, Ellen Ratner's new book. And on the line with us, Luke Vargas, the courier on Twitter, uh, the chief foreign correspondent for TMN. Hey, Luke, what's up? Hey, Tom, how are you? I am well, thank you. I don't have your, your summary sheet here, so uh, just, you know, what's at the top of the news for you? Yeah, I've been watching, listening in, and taking notes on the Saudi Arabian Investment Conference today that is proceeding as if none of this Khashoggi <laughs> incident ever happened. Or I take that back. I mean, they, they, they're proceeding with this. And there have been actually qu quite a lot of comments from various Saudi leaders acknowledging what happened, but they are striking a very defiant note. I was listening to the Saudi energy minister, Khalid al-Fala, uh, probably butchering the pronunciation there, but he uh, said, look, you know, we regret this incident. We're going to bring swift justice to whoever was responsible. That's kind of the boilerplate stuff. And then he slipped in this thing, looking around to a pretty empty crowd, um, but still, I think, well aware that a number of CEOs from major corporations around the world still showed up, but just held their meetings behind the scenes to ink their mm -hmm. deals that, uh, quote, the kingdom uh, these partners who are here with us today are certainly going to look back and find out how committed the kingdom is to its partners that stay the course, end quote. I mean, it really, to me, seems like, uh, you know, they we will feather your nest. Yeah, I mean, they are announcing $50 billion in deals made today. I'll take note, the U.S. clearly wanted to have this both ways. You remember the White House sort of made a big deal a few days ago that Stephen Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, was going to boycott the conference, right? They, they understood the outrage here. Well, he still crept into Riyadh yesterday anyways and yeah. sat down for a photo op with Mohammed bin Salman, the Crown Prince, anyways. So clearly we are pretending to show a lot of concern and uh, question the nature of this relationship, but still sending pretty top officials over there to signal our, our support. I will note uh, that the Saudi website, the government website hosting this conference, was briefly hacked overnight, and a photo of Muhammad bin Salman with the words ISIS spray-painted on his tunic uh, and brandishing a sword as Mr. Khashoggi kneeled in front of him was put up as the lead landing page on the conference website briefly Whoa. overnight before they shut it down so quickly. Now, now Sky, uh, Sky News earlier was reported re yeah. reporting that they found body parts of Khashoggi in the garden of the Saudi uh, attache or consul or consul general, I guess was his title, who the, the guy who went back to Saudi Arabia the day after this, this murder, he was recalled. Um, has there been any cor corroboration of that? Not that I've seen, and I will point out that uh, it, it conti we continue to see kind of the, and it, it troubles me to applaud his uh, strategic thinking here, but that Recep Erdogan, the Turkish president here, really has found a way can to continue to be the one driving this story by this sort of slow drip of information to the news media. Today, you know, as this conference launches, he gives a speech on TV, which does steal all of the headlines right away, saying, look, we have evidence that this murder was being planned for days, that any sort of assertion that this was an interrogation that went south very quickly and accidentally were false. Uh, I had, I mean, Erdogan continues to be the one driving the headlines here, and I, I think he will continue to want a slowly evolving story as opposed to corroborating media reports that clear things up in a definite way. I think he, yeah. he sees the, the potential, the storytelling potential inherent in this murder. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. What else is up? I'm looking at, uh, you know, surveying the U.S. government agencies today and uh, some of my colleagues making these inquiries to see if there's been any actual shift to either deploy the U.S. armed forces to the southern border or to actually direct the State Department or other U.S. aid agencies to cut uh, foreign assistance to these northern triangle countries in Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, the countries Trump yesterday said they're going to lose their foreign aid because they uh, weren't able to, and of course it would have been impossible to, stop migrants from leaving their countries and making the journey north to the United States. The Pentagon says no plans are currently in place to send troops to the border. The uh, State Department says it's received no guidance about cutting aid, and I would put this sort of into a quickly, uh, you know, elongating category of things that President Trump is promising his base of supporters in the run-up to the election that he'll probably face no consequences if he actually doesn't deliver on, right? This 10% tax cut that nobody is actually planning on giving, uh, this uh, notion that we are going to uh, somehow get a million jobs created if we continue with arms sales to the Saudis, and then all these things, Middle Easterners, 
traveling in this caravan. We're going to cut the aid. I mean, it's all red meat, but I don't think there's any indication. It's all lies. They're going to be followed up with policy. No, it's all lies. I mean, this is he's he's lying through his teeth and and louder and louder and with bigger and bigger lies. Just imagine the ways President Trump is going to prime the pump in advance of the 2020 election if we're already seeing him just making up Republican uh, policy during the midterms. That's giving me some pause thinking about. Yeah, it's pretty breathtaking. And it also, it's a, it's a great lesson in demagoguery. Luke Vargas with Talk Media News. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Tom. Good talking with you. You can follow Luke at The Courier over on Twitter. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget, despair is not an option. The best response to freak out or anxiety or concern or whatever is to do something. And there's so many things we can do. So please get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.